I'd like to pray, so just join me in prayer quickly. Father, help us as we look at your word and your standards for us, your expectations for your people. Help, us, help me to speak clearly, help us to obey as we hear your truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks and we have Food Frenzy. We've got the pictures and stuff already in preparation. Pano Life, Food Frenzy. Well, it's actually more than a theme. See, every year we have a Pano Life theme. Under the Sea, Cave Quest, uh, Space. But this is more than a theme because we'll actually be looking at three days, three stories from Luke's Gospel of Jesus sharing meals with people and using those meals as an opportunity to teach them and to demonstrate love and inclusion of the outsider. Today is the first day of 2000. Is that going forward, Tony, or automatically? Or maybe that did it. Well, maybe that did it automatically. Maybe that's okay. Today's first day of 2020, and we have a church theme every year. Two years ago, we, had, we were walking humbly with our God. This year, last year, this year, last year, you know, it's that time of year. <laughs> last year, we had belong your place in the family of God. This year, here's our graphic for this year, and here's our theme for 2020, give uh, thanks. It's so much. You can make it one word, but it's actually two words, and it just goes round and round and round, or it should, I think, in God's kingdom, as we give and we be thankful and we're thankful and we give and we give and we be thankful. So I think the Pano Life thing in our church theme really introduces the theme for the next two week Sundays. I'll be talking about hospitality. Lead into Pano Life, the food frenzy, and really a start of our theme of give thanks. Now you might think, well, hospitality is nice, it's good. But maybe it's a little bit incidental. It's perhaps like manners. Manners are important. But really, would you give talk on manners? Diligence, let's say, that's important, but would you give a talk on diligence? Hospitality is important, but really, is it critical? Is it central? One of many desirable virtues, but not so important. Well, here's the thing. I'm convinced that it is central. I'm convinced that it's at the very, very heart of Christian practice. It is love in Action. It is God's calling upon his people. And a life lived without hospitality central is a life lived without the gospel at its heart. What is hospitality? Oh, no, sorry. New Bible Dictionary actually says this when I did my research. Very first sentence on this topic. Hospitality is at the heart of the gospel and the practice of the early church. Its themes and language pervade the New Testament. I would actually say pervade the whole Bible. I don't think it's just for the early church. It's for us. It's for Pennant Hills Baptist. It's for the people of God. Hospitality. But a lot depends upon how we understand this term, Hospitality. In Australia, in most of the West, it's a fairly individualistic understanding. It's often event-orientated for the purpose of a good time. We host a party. We host a dinner party. We're entertaining relatives and friends. We put up the cost. 
we become the host. And sometimes it doesn't go well. In other words, sometimes people don't have a good time. And so we might think, I'm not very good at hospitality. I'm not a good cook. I'm not really chirpy and friendly. My house is too small. Because I haven't run an event that's led to people having a good time. My life circumstances, you know, grandma's living with us. It doesn't really suit. My lounge is cramped. I actually share a house with other people, so I can't be very hospitable. That's a very Western and might I even suggest hedonistic worldview of hospitality. It's all about the moment. It's all about a good time. It's all about the event. And it is in total contrast to how the Bible and indeed much of the world even still today views this concept of hospitality. A definition from the Dictionary of the Latin New Testament. It's a social process by means of which the status of someone who is an outsider is changed from stranger to guest. More conceptually, it's an attitude of heart which is about openness to the other. It's an attitude of the heart. It leads to a lifestyle of openness to the other. See, hospitality is not a gift. I'm good at hospitality. No. It's an attitude. It's a process. It's a lifestyle. It's actually from the word we use, hospitality, is from the Latin word hospitium, you can pick the similarity. If you went to the Greek New Testament written in Greek, the word translated hospitality is the word philozenia, which is a compound word, love, stranger. You know, you've got to be careful with compound words. Sometimes when I hear Bible talks, it's a compound word, so it means this and this, just like the word butterfly means a fly made out of butter. Or nevertheless means nevertheless. What does that mean? But in, sometimes playground is actually a playground. The word philozenia, by and large, as it was used in the Greek, means love, stranger. It is a compound word where the compounds add well together. The opposite of philozenia, hospitality, is actually xenophobia, fear of the stranger. Now, in the Old Testament, there's no exact Hebrew word, but I, I sometimes think that's perhaps because it's just part of the whiff and woof of the whole Old Testament. It's assumed this was the culture. Everybody had this practice. It was so ubiquitous. When I was in Mongolia uh, many, uh, 10 years ago or so, I was just stunned that people in the middle of the step, you could just literally walk into a tent, just li literally, you could just walk into a tent and you'd be hosted. And you didn't have to knock. They didn't knock. We're driving along. They'd come to this tent, a girl as they called them. They'd walk in the door and they'd be served tea and coffee by complete strangers. That was the culture. It's similar in um, Central Asia. This is the culture. It's not the culture in Australia. Welcome, food and shelter and provision for guests was expected in the Old Testament. So you get to Genesis chapter 18 and Abraham has three guests visit him and he just welcomes them gladly and starts serving them. 
they make a promise that he will receive a son. Hebrews comments on the book of Hebrews in the New Testament comments on this and says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it, to welcome the stranger. In Genesis chapter 19, we have the story of Lot living in the city of Sodom and him receiving guests who are actually angels and putting them up, showing them hospitality for the night, but the men of the city, well, they want to rape them. And actually the sin of Sodom was a failure really of hospitality to care for the strangers. That's what they face judgment for. It's a big deal. In fact, in the Old Testament, acts of hospitality reveal in a sense the underlying good or evil of a person or a community. That story is repeated over and over again. When we come to the New Testament, we see this hospitality, the welcome of strangers, Constantly in Jesus' life, we see it in the Acts of the Apostles in the new early church, and we see it constantly referred to throughout the epistles, the letters of the New Testament. It's implicit in practice, and it's explicit in command. So here we have Romans 12, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Love a stranger, offer hospitality, says Peter, to one another without grumbling. There's the commands. We're told that church leaders must be, in Timothy and Titus, must be hospitable. It's a requirement for people leading the church. Here is a definition, my definition, of what I think we should know. Maybe the words aren't as clever because it's mine, but it's really opening up the entirety of one's life, the entirety of one's life in love for the good of the other. Welcome into my life in its fullness for your good, particularly for the outsider, the stranger. It's a mindset, it's an attitude, it's reflected in a lifestyle. It is not a dinner party. Hospitality. And the entire Bible drips with this expectation of this type of hospitality. God, you see, God was actually a host. He saved Israel, his people, who were strangers and aliens in Egypt. He took them out of slavery into the wilderness and he provided for them food and water and clothing and security. And he led them into his land under his care. He welcomed them. And though they were recalcitrant and troublesome, he kept loving them and leading them and providing for them so that they could belong and be his people and he their God. And Israel, the people of God, was called to be hospitable like God is hospitable. In fact, of all the ancient Near Eastern codes of law, and we have a few of them tracked in cuneiform or however they're written in stone, only Israel's law had explicit laws protecting and providing for the outsider. 24 times in the law of Moses, they're told to care for the outsider. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. There's the teaching of Jesus from Leviticus. I am the Lord. It's central. Let's put it into practice in verse 33. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. 
For you were foreigners in Egypt. Remember who you are. I am the Lord, your God. Remember who I am, the hospitable God. When we come to Jesus, this expectation of hospitality actually gets ramped up even further because God comes to us, the incarnation, so that he might provide security for us, so that he might, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am living water. I go to provide a heavenly home for you, a place for you. I welcome you, says Jesus. And then we see constantly in the Gospels, there's too many examples where Jesus welcomes and hosts and heals the outsider and the sinner and the poor. Come to me, says Jesus. In Luke 14, Jesus is invited to share a meal with a Pharisee, a religious leader. And actually, as he goes to this meal with this religious high man, he sees hospitality, as was often the practice then, distorted. Table fellowship begins to mark not inclusion and welcome for the outsider, but actually exclusion and separation. Where you sit at the table means how important you are, how much you've purified yourself, how externally, religiously pure you are. Impacts you. So Jesus at this meal challenges them. He says in Luke 14, All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And he said to the host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends. Do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, this is what we all do, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, you may invite, they may invite you back because it's about reciprocation, and so you will be repaid. No, no, no. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. There's hospitality, says Jesus. Open your life to welcome the stranger. Do not exclude. Don't consider the cost. Don't think about status. Think about need. Think about care. Think about love. And then he goes on to tell a parable about God, the great king, the great host. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything's ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. They said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxygen. Oxen, I'm on my way to try them out. Please, what did I say? Oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. There's a great host, and they're saying, nah. See, you can reject and spurn God's hospitality, his grace. Because of pride, because of busyness, or he's just not so important. But God's hospitability, God's going to be host. He's going to welcome. This is his nature. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets. Go into the alleys of the town. Bring the poor. Bring the crippled. Bring the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room in God's house. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. 
Will we accept the invitation of God as host? Will we, in a sense, humble ourselves and open our hearts? Will we accept or reject God's hospitality? Jesus, in, uh, Jesus says in Revelation 3, 20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll eat with that person and they with me. Can you see this sort of dual sense of hospitality? We, with God, first have to open up our lives to welcome him in, to receive his greater primary hospitality. It's not easy to be in need and receive hospitality because we're proud and we'd rather be independent and no, I don't need your help, even though I desperately do. There's a sense we need to be hospitable to God and humble ourselves and open ourselves to him. And when we do that and we're included in his family, well, we are called to reflect his image, the image of likeness of Christ. And therefore we're called to be hospitable. That great Christmas carol, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. And when we've prepared him room, we need to be like him and prepare room for others. Christians in community, that is church, needs to be a place of radical hospitality. Here's a challenge, which means more than church lunches. Again, it's not about event and entertainment. In the early church, they were renowned for it. They met in houses. People opened their houses. They were together regularly with one accord. They had things in common. As again, I saw this in the church in Mongolia, which was such a radical thing compared to what we're used to in the West. Welcome and care and openness. In the second century, you know, Christians were known for this. There was this Roman satirist named Lucian. He used to make fun of people, particularly religious people, all sorts of religious people. He wrote a lot, quite a well-known, famous guy. He was writing about Christians. He wrote this actually story about this, this guy who he didn't like called Peregrinus. It might have been a made-up story. But he was concerned that Christians were so stupid that they kept being taken off by charlatans like Peregrinus. To quote Lucian, From the crack of dawn you could see grey-haired widows and orphan children hanging around the prison. Peregrinus is imprisoned. And the bigwigs of the sect used to bribe the jailers so they could spend the night with him inside. Full-course dinners were brought to him. Their holy scriptures were read to him. Maybe they were trying to share Jesus with him. Maybe Lucian didn't understand. And our excellent Peregrinus was hailed as a latter-day Socrates. From as far away as Asia Minor, Christian community sent committees paying their expense out of the common funds to help him with advice and consolation. The efficiency of the Christian show whenever matters of community interest like this happen is unbelievable. They literally spare nothing. Now, Lucian is trying to make fun of Christians. He's trying to point out their stupidity. And as he does so, he says they're insanely hospitable, even to charlatans. And they changed the world through love, 
through hospitability, through hospitality. They opened up their lives. They spared nothing. They, this is not dinner parties. I don't want to emphasize that too much. And there is power today in Jesus' name when people are truly hospitable. When I was a young fellow, I was living at um at living in North Randwick and sharing a flat, working and doing uni part time. I had to sell my car because I was running out of money at one stage. And I was going to church at Maroubra, which if you know North Randwick to Maroubra is a fair way. When I didn't have a car, I used to walk fairly often. Then people would offer offer to give me lifts. It was good. Often after Sunday church, particularly on Sunday, Sunday morning church, um, there I was, a 19-year-old, 18-year-old, and just regularly, the pastor's wife, Diane, invited me over with her young family for a meal after church because she just saw that I was kind of young and in Sydney and wasn't a big church, wasn't a lot of young people. And she'd go around and buy... Bread rolls, oh, bread rolls, cheese, lettuce, tomato, mayonnaise, bit of meat, yummy, yeah? And I'd sit round the lunch table eating bread rolls with the Wikes family. Do you reckon that was transformative on my life? You bet it was. Just because Diane felt sorry for me just about every rotten Sunday. Oh, John, come over to our place. And then they'd give me a lift home. That was powerful. And you know what? Hospitality also, it's non-negotiable. It's at the very heart of Christian life and practice. If I haven't convinced you already, that passage we read earlier about the sheep and goats. Who are the sheep? Who are the people of God's pasture? Who are those who are faithful and true and impacted by Jesus, part of his family? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. It's those who are hospitable. And those who neglect to practice hospitality, he'll say to those on the left, The goats depart from you, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Sober words. This is not a minor topic. The people of God must practice hospitality. They must open up the entirety of their life in love for the good of the other, particularly the outsider. But we, there's, we have our reasons for not being hospitable, don't we? Do we have our excuses, don't we? There are reasons, like fear. What if I open up my heart and my life and invite the stranger or the outsider in? Isn't that a risk? What if they take advantage of me? What if I get hurt? What if they reject me and I put all this effort in and then they 
hurt me. I think I'd rather be safe. I don't want to be used. You know, charity begins at home, so in our little bubble we'll have lots of hospitality because charity begins at home. And I don't want mess because the outside is messy. It was interesting, the discussion with Kira and Keith about the messy house, wasn't it? I don't want my privacy threatened. And so fear dominates. No, 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 I might get hurt, I might get hurt. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Fear is not an excuse for the Christian. Trust God, trust his love. He's been hospitable to us when you've been recalcitrant. And you know what I think even further? This is, I, think, I can't say Anna and I have been fantastic. This has been our experience. It's great joy in those risks. You learn things. You learn what other people are like. You enjoy their company. There's great joy in openness and love. And you know, if you don't want to get hurt, don't love. You already know that. If you've been in any deep relationship, if you've ever had a pet, if you don't want to get hurt, don't love. Hospitality is not safe, but boy, it's powerful. And so choose power rather than weakness. There is no joy in hunkering down. There is no joy in fear. There is no joy in protecting yourself. There is joy in generosity and openness and love. Another excuse, but it could be quite uncomfortable and it requires a lot of effort to be hospitable. I have to make the effort. It is, you know, it's not easy to feed the hungry or, or clothe the naked or care for the lowly and it's not easy to visit the prisoner or invite the stranger in. Let somebody else do it, someone who's better at it than me. Now, since when has comfort and laziness been reasonable excuses for Christians who follow Jesus? Since when has comfort and laziness had anything to do with the Christian life? Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And whoever gives his life for me will... Well, you know, what I'm, I've got it wrong there. Whoever gives his... Take up your cross daily, says Jesus. <laughs> and there's joy in that. But hold it. What if I'm an introvert? I'm just... Here's what I think, and I reckon I'm an introvert, and I reckon I lived this life, and pastoral ministry has changed me, praise God, for the better. I wonder if we at times use that label to justify selfishness and fear. So I withdraw, and I isolate, and I avoid, and I put this label on me, introvert, because actually the label selfish and fearful and proud, they just, this is not very nice labels to wear. Okay, so 
I'm not a big, big, big people person, but that doesn't stop you opening your life for others. Unless you let fear get in the way and comfort get in the way and selfishness get in the way or pride because actually I'm a bit better than those people, those outsiders. You know, be, being hospitable is going to cost you. So here's another excuse. I'm greedy. I don't want to give. I want to take. I want to, I'd rather be closing down and taking and excluding than being open and welcoming and giving. Well, there's also another sinful excuse. Just label it the way it is. Say, I am greedy. I don't want to be hospitable. What about I'm a private person? Because if I open up my life, people might see what I'm really like. If you're a private person, you need to open up your life so that people can see what you're really like and be engaged in this dance and process of change, of transparency and love. We were given the challenge by Beatrice Muria and by Jane Smith for some of us to consider becoming foster carers. That's pretty scary. To have a child who's had a really hard upbringing and lots of issues in your family or with you for a long period of time. Kids who need home and love and patience and boundaries. And Anna and I have considered it. We've, got, we've considered it. We've gone further. There's issues there, very real issues, but what if we just had these kids for a dinner party instead? Wouldn't that be good enough? So let's stop making excuses. Hospitality for followers of Jesus is non-negotiable. Go back to Matthew 25. Let's follow Jesus, reflect his image and glory and embrace a lifestyle and be ready to take up the fight and challenge to take practical steps so that we open the fullness of our lives in love for the good of others, particularly the outsider. We've just come through Christmas. We've just been singing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive a king. Let every heart we sing with joy prepare him room. Let every heart then prepare themselves room. Let's work to fight the curse of isolation and sin. Let's welcome Jesus as Lord and live with him as Lord and make space for others. And let's stop making excuses and live a life of risk and sacrifice and love as we follow Jesus. Let's... Let's commit to our church theme if you want to. You've only been just introduced to it. But let's give and find joy in giving and give more and find more joy. Why wouldn't you do that? Give thanks. And round and round it goes. And maybe as Pano Life comes and we're looking at these very topics, may we become more truly hospitable and welcome the stranger in our midst. Amen.